Okay, so Matthew 25, 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one, one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled his accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents bought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with the two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that then when I returned, I would have received interest received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not even whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside, into the darkness, where there will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Why don't we start with a few words of prayer this evening. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we have uh, this record in the Bible. Please, Lord, give us um, open ears this evening to listen carefully and understand anew and afresh what you would have us learn tonight. And give us open hearts, Lord, that we would respond as you would have us respond. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, generally speaking, I'm not really a football fan. But I have been enthralled by the progress of the England football team in the recent European Championships. I'm sure many of you watch too. Is that going to appear? There's a bit of a slide coming up in a sec. There we go. Uh, who can forget that moment four minutes into the quarterfinal match against Ukraine when Raheem Sterling danced through Ukraine's defence and slid the ball just in front of the feet of Harry Kane. 
Harry was just in the right place at the right time to shoot the ball into the back of the net and put England 1-0 ahead. In that case, Kane was given something of great value. He recognized that. He worked hard to prepare himself to take advantage of it, and he got an amazing outcome. And actually, he'd been working hard for years to be able to do that. He developed remarkable footballing skill. He'd worked hard as he'd been growing up, and only then, after years of hard work and at the right time, did he get the result that meant the nation erupted into a scream during that Ukraine quarterfinal. Quite remarkable. By the way, as an aside, is it just me, or does Rob look a lot like Harry Kane? But can you imagine a very different outcome, a very different response? Can you imagine if, when Sterling had delivered the cross, Kane had looked and just watched the ball float across the front of the goal? We would have felt completely cheated, wouldn't we? Well, that difference is something like what we see in the different responses in today's passage called the parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold from Matthew chapter 25. There we see three amazing opportunities given to different people, and we see what outcomes those different responses lead to. And so I'm prompted at the outset to pose a question to those of you who are here tonight as professing Christians. Are you really living your life for God? Are you really living your life for God? Today's passage continues, a series we've been working through for some time in Matthew's Gospel. If you have your own Bible with you, perhaps on your phone, then can I ask you to turn to that passage with me, please? That's Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. For anyone who's not been with us for the earlier parts of the series, we're in the New Testament part of the Bible, and we're in one of the four books called the Gospels that record Jesus' actions when he was with us as a man on earth. Matthew's Gospel is written by a Jewish man called Matthew, who was one of Jesus' 12 particularly close followers. The Gospel is written with a structure of five extended sermons, and today we're in the fifth and final one of those, which all takes place during the final few days, just leading up to Jesus' death, and it's delivered on the Mount of Olives. In chapter 24, as we heard last week, for those who are here from Andrew Redbond, Jesus says that at the end he will come back to carry out judgment, and that not even he knows when that will be. So we need to be ready for that to happen at any time. That idea of needing to be ready is then emphasized through the parable of the ten virgins who have to be ready with their lamps and their oil for a wedding. And as we saw last week, five of them who were not ready ended up locked out and they missed the wedding celebration. Well, straight away then, we come on to today's passage, the parable of the talents. And in fact, the opening word in the the passage is again. And that's to emphasize that this is still part of the same line of thinking, the need to be ready, because God himself could arrive at any moment, and the consequences of not being ready are dire. The last part in this section of Matthew starts from verse 31, and we'll be hearing about that next week. God carries out judgment. He decides who will spend a joyful eternity with him, and he'll be banished. And he illustrates that with the selection of sheep and the rejection of goats. Well, today we're going to look at the passage under three main headings. That's heading one, the servant's behavior. 
Heading two, the master's response. And three, our response to our heavenly master. So that's the servant's behavior, the master's response, and our response to our heavenly master. So let's look at the text. Well, in verse 14, we begin with a man going on a journey and calling his trusted servants to him. And according to his assessment of their abilities, he gives them different amounts of money, of gold, to manage for him. And then in verse 15, we see that he goes on his way. Now, I think we need to unpack this a bit uh, and bring it to life. The first thing to say is that in this parable, the master is God, and the servants are there to represent different ways that a follower of Jesus could respond over their lifetime so that they are more, or in one case, less prepared to face the Lord when he comes again. Let's start by trying to get some idea of the scale of what the man means when he says wealth. Each of the servants gets a number of talents in verse 14. Now, a talent was an amount of gold, and it was about the amount that a full-time laborer might earn over a period of 20 years. So what does that mean in today's money? I thought it might be interesting to have a look. Well, the website Statista.com publishes annual earnings figures for the UK, and it quotes the median, that's a sort of average, um, annual earnings in the UK as £31,461. And if you multiply that by 20, that means a talent in today's money is worth about £630,000. £630,000. So the, th- the third servant, who gets one talent, receives £630,000. The second servant, who gets two, receives about one and a quarter million. And the first servant, the man judges as the most able, receives about 3.15 million pounds to look after for his master. Well, I don't know about you, but I've suddenly got quite a different picture from the one I had first when I read the word master and servant. This is not someone giving out menial tasks and activities to be done. This is more like a wealthy landowner entrusting different parts of his estate to several different estate managers. People like this are experienced and skilled and highly trusted. Well, next, let's think about the timing. Um, Verse 19 tells us, after a long time, the master of those servants returned. And in the meantime, we're told in verses 16 to 18 that the servant who'd been given five talents had doubled those to ten, that the servant who'd been given two talents had doubled those to four, and the servant who'd been given one talent had just left them in a hole in the ground. So what could you do with a significant amount of money back then to double it in a reliable and responsible way? Well, you couldn't buy stocks in Amazon or Zoom or AstraZeneca, as probably some of us wish we had done at the start of the pandemic. Um, But you could probably invest in property or farming or cloth trading, or or lending money. So maybe the first servant could see that there was a lot of immigration into Judea at the time, uh, and decided to build some property for the master and rent it out. And maybe the second one could see that there was a growing population, and there was probably going to be a growing demand for food, and so they invested in farming. What does a good rate of return on investment look like? Well, 
according to thebalance.com, which is an investment website, the average return on company share investments since they started recording it in 1926, so it's pretty long term. Any, any guesses? What's a good rate of return look like from anybody? 8%. Eight, someone said 8%. It's not far off, actually. They reckon 10. 10.1, they reckon 10%. So to put that in perspective, <laughs> um, to double your money at 10% annual return takes between 7 and 8 years. Or if you were to manage to get 15%, which would be amazing, wouldn't it? Um, to double an investment takes about five years. So it might be that our first century entrepreneurial servants have been given somewhere between five and eight years before the master returned. It's that kind of time frame. Now let's look at how the third servant behaves. It tells us in verse 18 that the man with one talent went off and hid the master's money in a hole in the ground. And he just left it there. He ignored it. He left 630,000 pounds buried in a hole in the ground for what could realistically be five or more years. That doesn't sound like a very sensible idea to me. So what was going on? Well, we get some clues in verse 24. The third servant says, Master, I know that you are a hard man, so I was afraid, and I decided to bury the money in a hole in the ground. Well, does that seem very plausible to you? Well, I suppose it could be the case that the servant panicked and so buried the money. I'm sure many of us have done things we regret in the heat of the moment. But if the master went away for several years, there was plenty of time to reflect and perhaps come to a more calm and considered conclusion and then do something different. We all make mistakes. It's whether and how we deal with those mistakes that matters. And we don't hear in this passage that the third servant realized his error or, or dealt with it and changed. So that brings us on to our second main point, the master's response. Well, in verse 19, we read that the master comes back after a long time. I think we need to bear in mind that in those days, uh, there was no internet. There were no mobile phones. There wasn't even a reliable postal service for about another 1,700 years. So it's quite possible that the master didn't make contact, and then he suddenly came back unannounced. When verse 19 says the master settled accounts with them, I think the idea is that he wants to see for himself what each of these trusted servants has been doing and assess how these investments are coming along. So let's look at how the master responds to what he finds after his long trip away. Well, I think we've all been there, haven't we? Whether at school or at college or in work, for a long time you've been working on that important project. It's taken up days and evenings and weekends. You've had ideas about it in bed at night. In short, you've poured yourself into this for ages. And today's the big day when it's going to be assessed. Will it be good enough? In verse 20, we see that the servant who'd been given five talents of gold brings, and it's interesting to look, the five talents that he's additionally earned. Can you see that? It's interesting, isn't it? Because it, it doesn't say that he brings the original investment back. Because, of course, that money is probably tied up in either property or farming or something like that. And the, and the servant's continuing to go about the job that he's been given to do. But he does show what he's got back from all the work he's been doing. 
See, he says, I've gained you five more bags of gold. That's another 3.15 million back. What's the master going to say? Will it be good enough? And in verse 21, we hear the resounding answer. Well done, good and faithful servant. This is terrific. It's, if it's for GCSE, it's a definite nine. If it's for an A-level, it's an A-star. This is great performance. But do you notice it doesn't stop there? He goes on. The next comment says, You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. The master rewards the faithful servants for their work. And this is just the beginning. You've shown such flair for your art A-level. Let's get you into the very best college or the top medical school. And then in verses 22 and 23, the master arranges to meet with the second servant who'd been given two talents of gold. And it's exactly the same meeting and response with the second servant. Now, I think there are a few things we can take from the response of the second servant. The first thing to note is that the master chooses how much gold he gives to each servant. He doesn't give every servant the same. He has the right to assign the gold as he sees fit. And that's exactly what he does. But second, the master is no less happy with the second servant, who's worked very well, even with just with a smaller level of responsibility. So the wording is identical. So now let's look at the response of the master to the third servant, who'd been given one talent of gold, and he buried it in the ground. Well, in verse 24, we read that the first thing the servant did was to tell the master what the master thought, uh, what, sorry, what he thought of him. He says, I knew that you were a hard man. And then, effectively, he went on to tell the master that he didn't really deserve a return. He says, you harvest where you've not sown, and you gather where you've not scattered seed. Well, is that an accurate reflection of how the master behaves? We just read how the master dealt with the two other servants. He, he was encouraging about what they'd done. He talked to them about bigger, even more interesting and challenging opportunities to come. And he even warmly invited them to share in his own wealth and circumstances. That doesn't sound to me like an unduly hard master. Also, the master had sown. He'd invested over five million pounds with his three servants, and he'd left instructions for them. So the third servant doesn't seem to have a very accurate view of the master's character. The master expects to invest and get some return, and where he sees the right behaviors and results, he rewards that. We also see that unlike the other two servants, the third servant gives him back his initial capital, the money that he's originally been given. It's interesting that he hasn't lost it, has he? And he hasn't spent it. It's just that he hasn't applied it to generate more. Either he's been driven by fear and misunderstood what the master really wanted him to do, or perhaps worse, he may have been living as if the master didn't really exist and certainly didn't matter. And we see the response starting in verse 26. He says, you wicked, lazy servant. You think I'm hard with you, do you? Well, as a minimum, you should have put my money on deposit to earn some interest. And so he has that single talent taken away. And to borrow a phrase from Lord Sugar, he says to him, you're fired. And he throws him out. 
So that takes us on to our third point. What does this mean for our response to our Heavenly Father? Well, in the parable, the master is God, and the servants represent different ways we, as Jesus' followers and servants, might behave. We've been entrusted with something of great, great value, and that's God's word, which is the key to being saved for all of eternity. If we really are his true servants and we're serving him, God wants to see a return on that from us. Well, how is that? Well, one way is through our living a more godly personal life. The way we cultivate that behavior in ourselves is through regularly reading the Bible and praying, because that's when God's Spirit speaks to us most clearly, and that's what leads to the fruits of the Spirit that are described in in the book of Galatians. Now, I know many people, myself included, find they struggle to make daily Bible reading into a habit. So here are a few practical things that might help. Until the lockdown, I used to commute on the train. Some of you might be returning to traveling to college or to work by train or by bus. And I often used to see people, a lot of the time, playing games on their phones for the whole journey. Playing Candy Crush or watching Netflix. And I've got nothing against a bit of relaxation, but if you're traveling every day, then really that's a missed opportunity. Why not get a free Bible app, like there's one called Logos, for example, which is very good, and download it on your phone and spend 15 or 20 minutes each morning reading the Bible and then praying about what you've read. Or download, you can download talks from, uh, uh, for example, the St. Mary's website. Um, So talks that Rob's given or one like the one this evening. Um, If you don't currently do that, then I'd like to set you a challenge. Why don't you try it for two weeks and see what a difference it makes to you? I bet you'll find you arrive at college or at work much calmer and more prepared, and you'll make wiser and better decisions during the day. A second way we generate a return is through our outward behavior. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are saved by grace created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now, for many of us in our daily lives, it will mean being good witnesses for Jesus by doing our daily tasks diligently, joyfully, contentedly, even if sometimes it seems quite menial to be clearing up after other people, for example. And also, we do need to be constantly looking for opportunities to do what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, which says, to tell people that we are followers of Jesus... And to do that with gentleness and respect. And to get them interested in finding out more about this Jesus that we follow. Third, we need to avoid the mistake that the third servant made. We need not to misunderstand God's character. He's not unfair and he's not unduly hard. But nor is he a complete pushover. We need to be like those first two servants. Living all aspects of our lives knowing that one day our heavenly master is coming back and he'll want to know what we've been doing while he's been away. But also, looking forward to the treatment that the two faithful servants receive because, after all, we are trusting in Jesus. We can look forward, assuredly, to being welcomed as good and faithful servants and to even bigger things to come in heaven. I'd like to finish by reading a short section from the end of the very last book, the final book uh, in the Narnia series that C.S. Lewis wrote, 
called The Last Battle. I'm sure many of you are aware that C.S. Lewis was a Christian. For anyone who doesn't know, Aslan is the character in the book that represents Jesus. And Lucy is one of the children who follows him faithfully throughout. You do not yet look so happy as I mean you to be. Lucy said, we're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan. You have sent us back into our own world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? Their hearts leapt, and a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, are dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked at them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them down. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one that went before. Heavenly Father, thank you that you reveal aspects of your character through the Bible. Thank you that like the master in today's passage, you are trusting and generous. And what you really want is people that long to be in relationship with you so that you can take us into your own family, transform us, and have each one of us playing a rewarding part in a plan that is beyond our limited understanding and imagination. Please help us to serve you wholeheartedly throughout all our years on earth so that at the last we might hear you say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, and welcome us into an eternity in your presence. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, you've been firing away with your questions, um, so we're going to um, come and ask Jefferson some more. Wonderful. I'm going to just plunge straight in. There's some really good ones here. So, what do the talents mean? Do the talents refer to gifts or skills that God has given us too? Yeah, really interesting question, actually. And I think, um, as you might imagine, so in preparing for something like this, um, there are commentaries you can get on uh, the different books of the Bible. And, and, I, and this is actually a comment that was, um, um, or something that was covered in uh, one, of those, one of those commentaries. Um, so it's quite interesting, actually, as an explanation. So apparently, the word talent in English derives from this passage of the Bible. Right? So it isn't that in, in translating the, uh, the Bible into English, we've said, oh, that means the word talent. It's the other way around. It's actually that the Bible has given us the word. Um, uh, and over time, that's, come, that's moved from uh, meaning an amount of gold, which is what it originally means in this passage, to in common usage, we would say, wouldn't we, a talent is something that you, like someone might be a talented footballer, for example, or has a natural talent for mathematics or something like that. Mm. Um, 
so I think what the commentaries have been very clear on is saying actually in this passage, uh, it doesn't mean the generic meaning of, of talent. It is talking about, so as we, as we said here, we've been given something here which is um, actually um, uh, God's word. Right? So it is talking about um, being uh, God's word rather than saying, is this passage saying, if I'm a particularly gifted mathematician, for example, does that mean, I'm, I mean, I, I, so, so I'm, I'm not saying um, that if you've got, a, if you've got a, a love and a talent for something, generically you shouldn't be using it for God's glory. But I think that the point here is saying, what, what are these talents, you know, what does it mean by the talents, what should we be doing with them? I think um, uh, the answer is saying, actually this is about uh, your faith, and it is about some of the things that we, uh, that we gave as examples in there, about how do you solidify your faith? And the answer is, you spend time in the Bible, getting to understand God's character more, you pray regularly, um, and you develop as a, uh, as a Christian. So, does that make sense? That answers the question. Yeah, so you're saying that the talent is like the faith we're given. Correct. Really? Okay, great. And that kind of leads us on to then, so it was talking in the passage about doubling, put in five, got out five. So how do we today double our gifts? Like, how do I not know that I've put my talent in a hole kind of thing? Yeah, and I think that again comes back to the same. So, so, so if we think about the context in which this, this passage occurs, we said, um, so this is actually, the, it's literally the final two or three days of Jesus' life before he's going to die on the cross and obviously then, as they won't know yet, but uh, come back to life and be resurrected. Um, and we've just had this warning about saying you're going to need to be um, prepared and ready and, and, and being a, 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 um, sort of a faithful follower of, uh, of Jesus. Um, so actually what it's getting at is, again, like some of the things we've said here, it's, a, it's about uh, remaining a, follow, a faithful follower, as in... Uh, praying, developing your faith, being willing to speak to others about uh, uh, Jesus, living as a Christian. Mm. Um, rather, it isn't, specifically in this passage, it's not talking about um, kind of more generic talents that you, that you might have, if that makes sense. No, that's really useful um, and good to get clear. Um, so will we therefore be like rewarded differently depending on how we, on how we live and what we do with it? Well, that's a really interesting question, isn't it? And, and, and again, I think the answer is yes. I think the answer okay. is that, that we will be rewarded differently in heaven. Now, let's put that again into perspective. The really key thing right, about being a, a Christian right, is actually uh, 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 getting into the wedding feast you know, or uh, um, being a faithful servant and receiving the well done. Because if, you th- if we think we looked at, we talked to me about servant one and servant two, mm. and servant uh, servant one on the face of it delivered, you know, gave, gave back more um, but actually the wording and the warmth of the reception uh, was, no, was no less so I think the key thing is we just need to be faithful Christians to make sure we're in, we're in heaven because it's going to be whatever uh, kind of scale of responsibility we have in heaven it's going to be marvellous Oh, that's really encouraging to know. Um, so, um, but what um, the passage was talking about, um, what people did have would be taken away. So what will be taken away from those who don't have? Well, which well, you kind of started. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You kind of started yeah. Well, well, sadly, again, if we think back to the... Because uh, we said tonight's passage goes on, and again. So if you think back to the one uh, last week where uh, there were these uh, uh, ten virgins, for example, who five of them... Uh, weren't ready and were locked out. Mm-hmm. And again tonight what we see is two of the servants are uh, uh, warmly accepted and brought into uh, the Lord's household and one is rejected 
And, and really what this is saying is judgment will happen, as again, as we'll come on to the passage next week, um, um, that really what we're, what we're living this life for is um, we are, judgment will happen. Now, for, you know, um, the Lord Jesus came and died on a cross to take away and take our place in terms of sinful uh, people, to take our sins away so that we can have certainty that in, um, when we stand before the Lord's judgment at the end of time, we will be accepted. Um, but people who are not in that position, people who, 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 who don't remain uh, as faithful um, Christians and followers of Jesus, that's what it means, will be taken away. They will no longer be in the Lord's presence after uh, judgment, and none of us want to be in that position. Right, so you're saying that God's welcome, in essence, will be taken away. You'll be no longer welcome. We're, uh, we're, uh, the Bible's very clear, isn't it? That yeah. What it describes as hell is... Um, after judgment, we will, we will no longer be able to be in relationship uh, with God, and that will carry on forever. Yeah, no, that's really... It does sadly mean that, yeah. Um, and then you talked about, like, using this Bible app and stuff. Um, at church, um, there's loads of different translations, and different people use different abbreviations, don't even know what half them mean. What, like, do you recommend for someone as, like, a Bible version to use? Yeah, Bible versions, yeah, great. I mean... Um, we, our, our sort of standard pew Bibles here are um, the NIV. Which means? Which means, uh, well, we, uh, the New International Version, the NIV. Again, there's different... Um, 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 uh, sometimes, some people would, would in, in our type of church, also would use what's called the ESV, the English Standard Version. I would yeah. say the, the ESV is more of a um, word-by-word literal translation from the original text. And some people would say it's more... Um, accurate in that sense um, but, but it can be a bit harder to read so personally I would say for, go with the NIV because I find it's I would say it's, it's a lot easier to read um, and I think you'll, you'll get a decent understanding of the Bible from it if at some point you then are coming on to lead Bible studies it's actually quite useful to have more than one version I find the ESV useful in preparing because I find that the logic the flow of the thinking is very explicit um, in mm-hmm. the text but I, I would say um, Start the NIV is used a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Go with the NIV, I think, if you're starting out. Yeah. No, that's really useful. Okay. Thank you so much for asking our questions. Um, we're now-